What's your name? Rukmini. Oh, Rukmini from Los Angeles. Right. I remember if you were shorter, you had grown taller. I saw Vardaraj the other day in San Francisco at the Rathiatra. We were at the Rathiatra and Agni did. You know Agni? Yeah, Agni was leading the Kirtan. And um, we had a little festival at my monastery before Rathiatra for three days. And some Iskand devotees came, Jaijoka Swami came, and Radhanath Maharaj came. Bala Vakirta Maharaj, who's the successor of Madhav Maharaj, Prophet Jadavata came, this group, and, and we just talked about Rathiatra, the significance of Rathiatra for, for three days. It was quite nice. And then we all went to Rathiatra, and Agni was, was there, so he, he led the Rathiatra, Kirtan for Lord Jagannath. And, um, and Bhargaraj showed up, he was there. And uh, so nobody nobody knew who he was except those of us who knew who he is. And uh, he had a pretty good sized gray beard and, and, and gray hair. Yeah, yeah. Vyasa Dave, you know. <laughs> he had a hat on and uh, looked quite clean, but uh, you know, most of the devotees that were there, the people that were there, that they had no idea who he was. So here we are doing the kirtan and Agni is leading it for three quarters of the kirtan and then he turns and gives the megaphone, they have the megaphone that we use for kirtan and Rathiatra, to Bhardaraj. And uh, so he, he starts to sing. And, um, and you know, practically nobody knows who he is, and they thought that Agni's just kind of, you know, intoxicated, and he's given him the, the microphone to some guy, you know? <laughs> some old hippie or something. He started to chant, and people kind of like, you know, kind of like going along with the joke, you know, went along with him, and then, you know, it was he's Bardarar, so he led a beautiful kirtan, beautiful kirtan, all the right, the rest of the way, and then. Um, when we arrived at the site, then we took Lord Jagannath to the to the site and on on the stage, and so Bardaraj and I went with the, with the group and did kirtan. And Agni went back and brought Balaram and Subhadra and the deity of Prabhupada with kirtan. So I was there with Bardaraj, and he and I were, were leading kirtan together. It was was it was great. He had some real uh, feeling on that day, but unfortunately for me. Um, after the kirtan ended, he vanished, and I didn't get, I didn't, you know, wasn't time to talk to him during the kirtan, so I couldn't find him anywhere to talk to him, and I hadn't seen him in, in so many years, and we were never very close in Iskon, in, in L.A., we had different services and whatnot, but I always appreciated him, and so I got his email from Uttama Shloka, you know Uttama Shloka? He also had to come up to see me, and went to the Vatiyatra festival, and I sent him an email, but he hasn't replied yet, I, I don't think he checks it too often. Well, I wish I'd known more. I would have invited him to stay with me. But um, anyway, it's nice to see him. It's certainly nice to see you also. Just, you know, forgive me, but it reminds me of all so many people in Los Angeles. And that was my uh, home when I was born there. Well, I was born, and I, I joined in Santa Cruz, but and you know, a traveling party, and then they took me down to see Prabhupada. Stayed in L.A., and those were very memorable times. Very, very memorable and meaningful.
Okay, now I'm in the middle of one. Let me put this one off for a second. I'm still thinking about that one. Kunti, Kunti Devi. Oh, what did you hear tomorrow? Oh, that's. He and I are good friends, you know? We traveled together for quite some time. Well, I knew him for a long time as Ganesham. It was his brahmachari name, Ganesham. And uh, at one point we traveled for about a month. I was a sannyasi and he was a brahmachari. But he was so austere that I followed his standards. I didn't want to be, you know, embarrassed that I couldn't keep up with the brahmacharis. <laughs> but in those days, he didn't eat anything till five o'clock in the afternoon. And then he would eat raw carrots and butter. Half a stick of butter and carrots. I just followed it. And he didn't sleep much either, about four hours or so. But he was falling asleep at the wheel a little bit. <laughs> Those are fun times. But uh, it was um, after the library party, there was, oh, we had a great time, you and I. Uh, what happened was an idea came up to sell sets of Prabhupada's books. You know, the whole Bhagavatam, the whole Chaitanya Charitamrita. And um, by going door to door or something like that. So I was given the task. And um, Bhaktivedanta Maharaj and I joined up for that. Because he was in the library party. He had some experience like that. And I had my experience in the field. And so, um, you know, he's a bit of a mystic too. So we <laughs> we came up with this idea together to go to uh, these psychic fairs. They have a psychic fair and all kinds of people come, you know, and uh, it's kind of a new age and, um, well, psychic fair. And, you know, the palm readers and aura readers and everything. So we would go. <laughs> this is a book distribution story of sorts. So we'd have the Prophet's books lined up on the, de- on the desk and our hook to get people was we'd have a raffle. We had a big poster of the books that was printed just for our program, color poster, all the problems. Books like, like you get those encyclopedia posters, you know. We put that up and we had a table and then we have a we have a kind of a raffle and the raffle was that you just enter your name if you're interested and we're, we're going to pick a name and somebody's going to win a set of these books. And um, I think what we said is that, is that there are going to be six people that are going to win and they're going to get the books at cost. I mean, these are beautiful books. They're obviously worth like, you know, $30 a book, color photos. So people thought that was great. So then they put their name in there and their their name and their address and their phone number. We had a little thing that they filled out, you know. So then we got all their names and addresses and phone numbers and then we would go and we would call them up. <laughs> you didn't win a free set, but... But yeah, exactly. So then we would go, you know, and we would visit them and we'd talk to them. And there were some wild people that we used to meet, you know. And we'd talk to them about Prabhupada's books and we'd sell them at, you know, what what appeared to be like at cost. Because we used to print the books pretty cheaply because we printed so many volumes of them. So a book like this book, you know, we print a few thousand of them. It, it costs, you know, a lot of money to print. It costs like eight or nine or ten dollars, twelve dollars to print it. And then, you know, retails 
for like twenty, twenty-five dollars, whatever may be the case. But probably suppose we printed fifty thousand of each volume, so they were quite inexpensive. So we would say, you know, it's five dollars a book or whatever it was, four dollars a book for the whole set. This is, you know, practically less than the cost, and it would be believable. That way, we try to sell sets of books to people. We did it for a while. It was fun. One time, we were talking to a guy, and we, we used to wear wigs and dress up like respectable people. <laughs> and so we were talking to this guy, and, and we had him almost convinced, but not quite. And he was a UFO type of a guy. That was his, his thing. You know, Tirtha Maj would be showing the pictures, you know, the swan planes and stuff like that. It's all in here, you know. This is like a, practically, this is like the encyclopedia of, you know, mystic phenomena, you know. Ancient books from India, everything's in here. This is the essence of all, you know, psychic reality and more. So we had him. He's an older guy. He wasn't quite convinced. And uh, so he went, he said, he excused himself for a moment. He used the bathroom. He went out of the bathroom. I looked at, at, at Maharaj and, and I said, let's take off our wigs. We took off our wigs and there we were, bald-headed, <laughs> you know, like we had just come from another planet. <laughs> He walked back in and saw us with those shaved heads, you know, and he tried to check himself, but, he, but you know, he kept his cool. He sat down, he signed, to take those books, you know, while you beam me up or something. You know? And then we just walked out, you know, and he's looking through the curtain, you know, with his son around the corner. Yeah. It was wild. We had some fun together, and he keeps in touch with me also. I think he got a copy of this book himself. He's reading, and he reads all my books. And, and one young man in Detroit just asked Maharaj if, uh, who was uh, um, close with Maharaj, had been hearing from me, and asked Maharaj permission if he could get initiated from me. And Maharaj gave his blessing. So I was happy to hear that. He's a GBC too, right? <laughs> I'm seeking, you know, to be bona fide in every respect. He's a GBC right here too, Marge. Oh, I know. I know. Prabhupada saved me from that. <laughs> Maybe we should start with this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Don't do me any favors. Oh, no. What's the day today? You're not balanced. <laughs> this is for you, right? Want me to sign this one too? He had to go.
Are you Mars's disciple also? Yeah, that would be great. Marge has a big, big flock, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he should. He's a saintly person. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's nice of you to come. You stay in Potomac area? Rockville, which is about 10 miles north of Potomac. You're kind of a... The people who live in Potomac have spent many previous lives desiring wealth. <laughs> oh, it is an affluent area. Yeah, oh yeah, it's hard to live close to the temple. Right, hmm. right. I haven't been there in a long time, Potomac. But I remember when they moved there and first got that place. And Madam Radhamana Mohan. I'd love to see them again. Yeah, it's a nice country. Semi rural rural yeah, rural it setting. It used to be completely rural and now it's all <coughs> mansions and things. Very small lots. The last time I went there they had built they had just built the was it, was a guest residence. Was a residence kind of like and had a room downstairs. Eighty six. Was a, there was some kind of meeting or something, wasn't there? Uh, I remember you came through and had a, a traveling band at that time. Uh, seeing you there. It was just after you came through. Rupanuga was in, was in charge at that time. Yeah. It's really changed. I bet it has, the, uh, yeah. The, stru- the structure, I mean, it's very beautiful, the grounds and mm. it's very nice. And thanks to Rupini Nanamitma, who has funded a large portion of wow. the renovation. Mm. I didn't know that. You're the one I should be telling you. Oh, it's, it's the Anutima brothers, huh? We need a few more Anutima brothers. We need some of the so, Anuttama, aren't you like a public affairs minister or something? Communications minister? You give the right spin on everything, huh, for the public? Uh, that's the general perception. <laughs> oh, forgive me, I, I didn't mean it to be derogatory. No, no, not at all. But the, the science of the field itself says that, you, uh, that the actual idea is, is to help the organization of community understand who are those key groups of people that are necessary to be have relationships with to achieve your goals and that the issue is not that you put a spin on things as yours is the mind idea but do you actually assure that the integrity of the organization is represented in those relationships allows you to achieve your goals like you're talking about the we have this wonderful theology but sometimes our behaviors mm. at that level so we also we have we sometimes tend to hide behind the theology and not think that we need to individually or organizationally, institutionally manifest 
those kind of qualities. Yeah. And then we assume because of theology is so pure, everybody should just measure us on the basis right. of theology. <laughs> so we're trying to help bridge the gap there. Well, that's important. Who's the chairman of the GBC of North America? Um, Do they have such a position? Yeah, this year it changes every year. This year right. it's um, Nichinandan Dallas. Oh, that's the person I don't know. Yeah, he's um, he's Krishna Maharaj's disciple from Fiji. He's an attorney and he's a temple president down there. Last year was Malati. Yeah, and then two years before that, uh, Rolpat Swami was the chairperson. Hmm. Rotates. Mm-hmm. There really isn't a North American GBC. There's no, it, it's a, there's no real, there's not a corporation or anything. Right. It's, it's, it's very ad hoc. Right. But, um, that concept came up just around uh, the time I left, you know, just uh, about that year, year before the North American GPC, as, as a kind of a body within the body, yeah. nothing yeah, official. But... Been, the, the North American GPC and Temple Presidents have been meeting for maybe about 10 or 12 years. And then the last year, we're starting to expand that to make it kind of a North American convention. So it's not just meetings, but that's a part of it. Mm. Have training sessions and some and things like that. So similar, they've been doing something like that in Europe for a few years. You do it at New Vrindavan, maybe? We did did this year. Good place for it, huh? Malti invited me to go to New Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. She came to visit me recently, but... um, but my tickets were already purchased and arranged and so forth, and so we, we couldn't quite... Uh, I would have gone down there from here, but it didn't work out this time. I bet that's changed a lot. Even Dobbin needs to change. You'll have to come yeah. there with me sometime. We'll go together. Yeah, one meeting there last. I think that the last time that I was in New Vrindavan... Oh, you know, I know the last time I was in yeah. Potomac. Was when we had that that that, that huge uh, there was a huge meeting, was it? That was when I left Iscon at that time. Huge meeting, people converged from everywhere. And meeting was here, or the big meeting in New Redondo. No, the meet the big. There was a big meeting. This was like 1986. Four. I thought there was a meeting in, in Potomac. Maybe it was New Vrindavan. Yeah, I came from Dallas because like, people came from all over. Oh. Sachin Maharaj first came out with his Guru Reform book. And right. It's a big deal. You know? mm. Anyway, uh, so somewhere around that time, I was at last at New Vrindavan. Then it's changed a lot. You know, they, they went out of this con, went back in. And, you know, Oh, yeah, I heard that from Radha. That just made my heart leap. Claudia was the president of New Vrindavan. That's where he belongs. So nice. He was so dedicated there for so many years. He's a wonderful person. Claudia. Do you stay in touch with Ramaswar? Well, uh, Ramaswar doesn't stay in touch with me. But I try to get in touch with Ramaswar once. And because I had gotten his phone number and address, he never answered the phone, but I sent him a letter and 
I got one back from him. I was I wanted to send him some books because you know he was always in the books and I had written a couple books at that time, so I wanted to send it to him and uh, he wrote back shortly said yeah sure I'd like you know send me any books. I sent him the books and then I asked him some questions and write back and then I wrote him and said I was coming to New York I'd like to meet with him he never wrote back and I called left messages and yeah, at that time I guess he wasn't uh, feeling that social. I should try again. We were, we were good friends. But I don't think he's too active in any years. Don't be sure in touch with him. I don't think too many other people are. Yeah, sure. We yeah. tried for a while, had some experience. Uh-huh. We worked really hard to get to see him. Mm-hmm. Lots of calls. Kind of show up on his doorstep and he would be friendly. Anything short of that was... Mm-hmm. Right? It's a difficult, yeah, difficult case. Komodaki, you know Komodaki, she came to see me. I was at, in, I was just in Los Angeles. I got invited to, uh, you know Kanka? Kanka? Okay, well, she invited me to her house. Her husband, his name is Vakunta Dave. He used to drive one, my Radhamadar bus at one time. They invited me down there to San Diego. I went to their house. And then Uttama Shloka, some of you may know him, he was famous for Chicago fame and also Toronto. Oh, he's he's a character, boy, I tell you. He just talks and talks, but it's interesting. He's super entertaining. I mean, he is an entertainer, you know, by, by nature. Boy, is he an entertaining speaker, telling stories, and you know, about how he brought this melody and that melody into Iskand, by taping this kirtanir or that kirtanir and this Godiamab or that place where we come and go to Mayapur. And, we had a real good time with with him, so we, that was in L.A., and then we were invited to uh, another devotee's house in Ojai, California, Maheshwar. Maheshwar was kind of like an architect, I think, in in Iskand. We did some work in Mayapur at one point, so he's there. He has a little kind of preaching center, so we went there on, on Janmashtami. It was a nice crowd of people came, about eighty or hundred people. It was quite nice, and then it so happened that. The Redine on the Marsh was in town in Ojai, renting a house, writing his one of the, uh, a book that he's writing, been writing for a few years. So he heard that I was there and he invited me over. So I went to his house for the for Prabhupada's Vyasa Puja. He was there with a couple of devotees, and I had a couple of devotees with me. So we chatted. He gave me all of his, you know, he's very entertaining too. <laughs> <laughs> all of his insights and whatnot, some of which were. Were interesting. You didn't give me too much of a chance to respond to them, but uh, I'll have to write them. What do you think? What are you saying? Well, I guess you've heard some things from our set. Are we talking about Vijayananda? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I have, I have, I have uh, some thoughts on the matter. Um, I mean, there's a lot of truth, obviously, that. Um, and we're not perceived as a relevant movement. I mean, there's nothing new to me, or probably to any of you, for that matter. Um, and it's a problem. That's why I do what I do, because when I was um, I left, when I was outside of ISKCON, in those days, things were difficult, and and uh, then they BBT wouldn't sell me Prophet's books to sell. So that's how I started writing books. You know, the Prophet used to say. Necessity is the mother of invention, so 
I began, I thought we gotta have some books. We're out here. This is what we're supposed to do. This is the family business, you know, books. So I began to write and um, we did some magazines and books and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was the first thing. And what I sought to do at the time, because Sridhar Marsh, had he was very um, strict on a, on a certain a particular principle. That he did never, never, he said, I would be mortified to think that I was seen historically as an aggressor against ISKCON. He said, so if you, if, if you feel that it's in your best interest in serving your Gurudev, given all the circumstances and everything, to serve outside separately from ISKCON, then I'll, I'll, tried to help you by being in the background with some spiritual support and insight and so forth. But I'm a small man. I have a small place. You have to go and do something. Your Guru Maharaj, Swami Maharaj, we want you to do something for him. So if you feel like that and you're convinced of that, then you, then you have to go. And he was very, very objective like this. He said, and you may go faster alone than in a bigger group. But you may fall down if you're not in a big group too. So you have to weigh all these things and it may be better for you to stay in ISKCON. You may need a certain support of the structure and, and so forth, even though you can't agree perhaps with the administrative policies or how they in- interpret the, the teachings at this time. It's important that you don't go down if you go outside, but if you have some energy to go and do. And, and you know, basically it meant we'd be by ourselves out there and not that, not that everybody that went there got along with one another either, you know. We went to Shida Marsh. We were all, you know, we had some differences and whatnot. And so um, he said, if you go, you take nothing with you, not even your books. It all belongs to the mission. You all, you, anything you acquired, you acquired in that mission, and it all belongs to the mission. You go with your faith, your Shraddha only. And you have to stand on that. Mm-hmm. And so, it, uh, and as much as there were some, you know, hard feelings on our part, so forth, and differences, and, you know, sometimes they would show up and sometimes we would speak strongly. And, and, and a fair amount of that was reactionary, too, because strong things were being said about, about us. We were prostitutes and whatever anybody thought, so many things. And Sridhar Maharaj was ambitious or whatever, and, you know, he was our guru. Shiksha Guru, so we couldn't tolerate that. So we weren't good enough to be completely tolerant and humble. And sometimes we responded and said things like, "Well, who cares for you and your JBC and whatever?" You know. But I was, uh, I was pretty much determined to follow the policy of Sri Maharaj. And so I thought, with regard to preaching, Iskon has largely had that done with largely focusing its energy on what I would call mainstream America, and uh, the, the, the themes that were emphasized, uh, like reincarnation, vegetarianism, and so forth, to get people on board, were obviously themes that we emphasized to people who didn't believe in those things. Whereas there is a sector of society that most of us came from, alternative culture, where those things were readily accepted. And it wasn't much of a focus of ISKCON to preach to that sector. Those guys were, and ladies were pretty much, you know, in Maya or they had bogus gurus or, you know, it was too hard to 
unlearn them as we would would see it. So I thought oh, it's a large sector of the society, and it's an influential sector of the society too in its broadest sense. You know, it's spawned the whole environmental movement and things like that. And so I thought, uh, let me focus my energy there. Iskand doesn't really go to that you know, page. So I learned the language of alternative culture and and how to intermingle with those people and, and not be confrontational in, in, in approach, which is largely the approach of Iskand had been largely confrontational. And that was Prabhupada's approach, and that was Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur's approach, too. And they had reason for it and so forth. But, you know, all this is relative to time and circumstance. And so times were different. My circumstances were different. So and I kind of did my own share of confrontational approaches. So I adopted the non-confrontational approach. And, and it's largely also the influence of Sridhar Maharaj on me, whereas Prabhupada was very confrontational. Sridhar Maharaj was non-confrontational. So, you know, I got kind of both sides of me. I can speak very strongly, but I can do it softly at the same time. So, anyway, um, I preached and have been a lot to alternative society. And I, when I did, the, for example, Clarion Call magazine, we just assumed that everybody believed in reincarnation. That was editorial policy. Whether they did or not, we just assumed it. And so it was almost like they felt like they should. <laughs> if they read the magazine or vegetarianism. And um, and so um, I felt that it was a group that you could be what I am in. I could be a Swami in alternative culture. It was respectable. Whereas in mainstream America, you know, it, it's not. If you dress like this, uh, they might ask rather than what you're about, you know, why do you, why do you dress like that? Which is part of what we're about, but hardly the whole thing. So, so I liked that, and uh, so and I changed my name legally to my spiritual name, and uh, you know, I started writing books, and I'm kind of known in that sector of society, which also, in my estimation, is a very powerful, influential uh, sector of the American public. And um, so. This is one of my responses to the Maharaj when he was talking to me about mainstream America and making a, a Hare Krishna America. He said, I said, what are you talking about? You know, Kmart shoppers? You're going to, I mean, I said, we'd be doing good to be a respectable discipline or tradition within alternative culture of America. We'd be doing great. Hmm? And uh, as, for example, Buddhism is. It's highly respected as a thinking man's and woman's uh, religion or tradition. And um, and that's one of the things that I quickly realized, that they are doing, many the Buddhists in many respects, the kind of thing that Prabhupada wanted. There's so many Buddhist people, maybe, you know, largely by name only, but they've got a little shrine and they ring a bell and they offer incense. And uh, rituals, at least monastic mode of dress and so forth. These are all acceptable things, if not desirable things. We've found uh, many times it opens doors for us. Yeah. Now people see me and a lot of times they come up and say, are you a Buddhist? I said, no, I'm a Hindu monk. You know, Prabhupada said we weren't Hindus, but I tell people we are Hindus. And, you know, it's all a matter of preaching strategy. You know, Prabhupada said it for, for particular reasons. and So I say the opposite for the, for similar reasons. Mm. Um, 
And so they go, oh, that's great. And then they maybe ask, what's the difference between Hinduism and Buddhism? Uh, you know, we have a conversation. And um, that's why I have the, like this young lady with her. She's not that young. She's 30 years old. She doesn't look at what the shaved head. Have a shaver head. She lives. In, she's uh, one of the monks at my monastery. And if you go to the Buddhist monastery, it's all the lady monks. They shave their heads. And Catholic nuns used to shave their head, and and so forth. So it's just like, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be um, at the monastery. So we have a, we call it a monastery rather than an ashram because an ashram is like something out of the 60s and hippies and monastery conjures up more of a sense of dignity and integrity and at least an American mind and antiquity and and so forth and we have it in a rural very rural setting in the redwoods in California and um, and so you know from my perspective where I'm preaching first of all I'm preaching to largely to the alternative uh, culture and my books are written with that kind of language and it's contemporary language. It's, it's not at all confrontational, but no points are not, you know, made. Every point is made and my avod is turned upside down and inside out just in such a way as if to ask people to think about it and examine it for yourself. And I don't tell them they should be Krishna conscious, but I tell them Krishna consciousness sure is charming, isn't it? <laughs> what do you think? You know, and I, I let people make the, make the decision for themselves. It's that type of approach. So, I have some success with that, and I get some some recognition from people, dignified people in that sector who write endorsements for my books and things. So from my perspective, a lot of the things that Marge was talking about weren't very, in my field, weren't very relevant. And the other field that I'm involved in in preaching to is, is to devotees, like yourselves. A good part of it, my books are also written for devotees. They're written for devotees to help devotees look more deeply into their tradition. Because I use some different vocabulary, it helps them, I think, to, to think about it. Like Prabhupada said it like this, he's saying it like this, the same thing, but it helps you to kind of move away from a stereotyped conception or a, what you thought you understood and think about it differently. And, it, and I mean, I had to experience myself because I heard everything from Prabhupada and I heard everything from Sridhar Marsh. They quoted the same verses and had a different little angle on them at different times. And, it's quite uh, illuminating, hmm? and I realized that I have I have to say something about this myself too. I have to have my own thoughts about it at some point. So I do, of course, and and I, I put them in the books, and um, and so it's written they're written for devotees to help devotees kind of think outside of the box. I think that's good, and a lot of devotees are trapped by you know like Prabhupada said this or Prabhupada said that, and and he did, but what did he mean and why did he mean it and so when you talk about that, it, it tends to sometimes free the devotees a little bit to uh, to be to feel all right about themselves or about things or and also I you know I'm pretty uh, kind of philosophical and uh, I always had that side I like to go very deeply into the literature and and so forth so I I get some insights from that and. And I'm, I, you know, I read whatever I can find or get my hands on about Krishna. I have a way of reading it and just, I know the teach. I have a feeling for it. I have some, by Prabhupada's grace, some realization. So I know what's Krishna conscious and what's Gaudiya Vaishnavism and, and what's not. And so I can go in and I can take and leave and, you know, I, that's how I spend my time. So 
the books have some deep insights about Gaudiya Vaishnavism that will be good for the devotees to hear. And they are for people who are not devotees, but they're educated liberal intellectuals, I guess I would call them, with a spiritual leaning. And when they read it, they feel like this has an intellectual integrity and um, it's not confrontational. It's th- it's, it's, I try to ask people to uh, join a kind of a way of thinking rather than, a, than an institution. I think that's more popular than to try to get people. People don't want to join an institution, but they want to be able to I'd like to be part of a, a way of thinking. That's kind of how Buddhism is built also. It's just a way of thinking. So if I'm preaching to devotees largely, then you know it's kind of good to dress like this too. And uh, if I preach to all with regard to modes of dress, which is one of Mars's emphases. And this leads to really the, my real response to Hridayananda Mars's critique. While it's relevant in many respects that to say that ISKCON is not very relevant, and and he likes to say many things are not Vedic, but we think they are, but they're not. Some some truth to that, and and all, and I appreciate it. But my thought is that Maharaj's critique is an example of what he is critiquing. Just another face of the same critique. He's criticizing constructively albeit ISKCON, for being, um, for example, caught up in externals and identifying them with essentials. You got to wear a dhoti or whatever it is. You got to wear a T-lock and uh, you've got to do it like this because it's Vedic. And he's saying those are all really externals. They're not essentials. At the same time, Mars seems preoccupied with making people, bringing people to Krishna consciousness. He wants to bring people to Krishna consciousness. So his, his orientation is at one of outreach, and he seems to want to make a really broad, broad outreach. And all I could hear him talking about was really changing externals, but the things that he talked about that would be changes... I consider to be rather external as well. Packaging. Yeah. So if you change your dress and, and instead of the sannyasis wearing dhotis, they wear something else. See, to me, that's not really what will make ISKCON relevant. What will make ISKCON relevant, it doesn't really, the teaching is it doesn't matter what your dress is. So if it doesn't matter what your dress is, then you might as well wear a dhoti. Because what really changes people is how you are, what you are, what kind of person you are. And that means how Krishna conscious you are. And you're not going to change and become more Krishna conscious just by exchanging, you know, uh, Beethoven rolled over, you know, <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, Michael Cassidy's best hits, you know. I don't... <laughs> and those are the kind of things he was talking about. That's being a little a little unfair, maybe. You know, it's important, his, his thrust, in many respects. And I agree that the Hare Krishnas are not very relevant. It's a concern for me. That's why I, I do what I do. And I think, at least in some circles, educated people, it's relevant. They read these books and they think, wow, this is a neat thing. I didn't know it was like this. It's got all this stuff in it and it's not just about joining some group. And So my thought is that to make the Hare Krishna movement relevant, what the Hare Krishna movement has to do 
and and the Hare Krishna movement really, you know, is this gone? I mean, that's it's got the world covered. There are other groups here and there, and you put them all together and all the work they do and all the people they gather. It doesn't compare to the work that the, the kind the number of people that get involved in ISKCON. But to me, the weak point of ISKCON is its knowledge and its depth of spiritual understanding. I think that's the weak point. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's that's my feeling. I think that it's oriented towards recruiting, preaching, but it doesn't have a, a wing or an aspect of it that caters to uh, that much to inner development and an official one. There are people that want it, and it ekes out here and there and so forth. But, for example, you know, we've got the BTG. It's an outreach magazine. It really is. And probably a lot of older devotees don't read it. Or they read it because they like to hear, oh, that's neat, that happened. You know, we converted the gypsies, you know, and it makes us feel like we're doing something, you know, but that's not what we're doing in America, you know. <laughs> we're not doing anything here. And this is this is the real, you know, piece of cake here, America. What you do in America, well, how you're st- you stand in the eyes of America is how you stand in the world, really. So that's the excitement about living in America for a Krishna conscious preacher is that you get that what you do here little bit has you know if you, if you talk to the mayor here if you talk to the prime minister in uh, Turkey you know or the, you know, if you talk to the chief of police it's like talking to the you know prime minister of Siberia or something so um, so this is an exciting place to be in and um, and I think that just use that example of back to Godhead as an outreach magazine you have so many devotees not only in ISKCON but outside of ISKCON as well and there's no magazine for the devotees that talks about Gaudiya Vaishnavism and the tradition what it is and and I think that kind of thing needs to be needs to be there and I think that the leaders need to sit down and, and decide one day that look Prabhupada said this in 1975 we don't need any more people we should boil the milk We've got enough men, women, we should boil the milk. He made that statement. And in the context of making that, I believe, is when he said, I want all of my disciples to become Bhaktivedantas. We have the title Bhaktivedanta, something like that. So uh, I think that they should boil, that ISKCON should make a policy to systematically boil the milk. What does that mean? How do you do that? Uh, there's different ways to do that, but you got to make a concerted effort. you got to realize that, that this is what we... ISKCON is weak in the eyes of every other Gaudiya mission out there with regard to not men, not money, not influence in the world, not facility to engage people on so many levels, which is so important, but weak in terms of knowledge of scripture, Gaudiya Siddhanta, and then probably they project that into practice and realization and so forth. So they'll come to a mission, some other fellow or acharya, and they'll critique it. They'll, and then they'll end up critiquing things that Prabhupada did, like names of deities or why they sing this song at this time or that and so forth, which are all part of Prabhupada's personality and are all relative and are all meaningful to Iskana and should never be changed because they represent, in many respects, the personality of its founder. Hmm? But the reason they're able to critique these things and so forth is because they see the society's weak in spiritual leadership and spiritual depth and spiritual understanding. 
So when it's weak in terms of that, then they just you know can criticize everything to, as as examples of it. Whereas if it's it's rich in spiritual understanding and knowledge and depth of realization, spiritual leadership, then when you interact with that society, you can't be criticizing all the little things that the way they do things in it, because after all, well if they've got this, then that's okay. And that was Prabhupada. Prabhupada had that, and he could do all those things that were very different. For example. In the way Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur did it. Hmm? Prabhupada's temples are very different than the temples of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, how they observe this, that, and the other thing. But they could never be criticized as long as Prabhupada, Prabhupada was there in that, in that, with that kind of spiritual depth that he had. But when that spiritual depth is perceived to be absent, or is absent, then they can criticize everything, and the devotees get confused. Why we do like this or that? And, and so on. So that really, this is people. There is a plurality of Gaudiya sects out there. They're out there. They're going to. They're going to be more of them probably. Iskon can't continue to, as their policy was years ago, just to ignore them like they don't exist. They have to acknowledge that they exist. And my sense is that they should form relationships with those that are uh, are, are friendly, are favorable. That will give them strength. That will show to their members that well. We don't like to, we don't get along with that group, but we get along with this group. So it's not just us, it's that's just we don't, we think we're the only people. You know, you make some guidelines what it means to have, like, for example, a sister society. Then all of a sudden, through that, there's a chance maybe some spiritual depth will also come into ISKCON. That in itself would be like, wow, revolutionary thought, you know opens new doors and makes one think a little differently. I'll give you, this is kind of a self-motivated example in a sense, but somebody told me the other day that that Anutama said that the devotees who preach at the colleges, that the the devotees who preach at the colleges don't like to sell Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. Okay, so anyway, somebody said, because... You know, Prabhupada says things in there that just, woo, you know, turn people's heads, especially the ladies. His language. Now, it's in our business to go and rewrite Prabhupada's books. You know, Jayadwaita Swami is a good editor and everything like that, but, you know, there's certain things we're just not going to change in, the, in those books. And they were written for time and circumstance and uh, and so forth and so on. Yeah, they should sell this Bhagavad Gita. That's my opinion. You, know, you, you can read it and see if it's Krishna conscious. It doesn't say that. It's written in contemporary language. It's an example of that. And, and that's that's a huge thing, you see. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge thing. You know how many people in this country think this is the greatest heresy that Tripura Imar wrote, wrote the Bhagavad Gita? They say it almost as if they think Prabhupada wrote the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, for God's sake, Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> you know? And Prabhupada... <laughs> wrote a commentary on it. In his own commentary, he says there are other commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita. Some of them are nonsense and some of them are done by devotees. And those are good. And I told the story, what he said, you know, how he wanted to write another Bhagavad Gita. You know, I'm his disciple. So it's a good thing that a disciple of Prabhupada could do. That's the kind of thing Prabhupada wanted. It's a night we should be happy for that. You know? That's uh, my thought. <laughs> so that just imagine, I'm, that would be just an example of what I'm talking about. That would be like revolutionary. After Brian Maharaj, yeah, he's okay. You know, this is Bhagavad Gita. It's good. And, and you know, I write these books and I make, you know, a little living off of it. Very little. You know, we're like broke all the time, practically, you know. And um, 
But I would offer all anything I wrote to the BBT without any royalties or anything. As I think the BBT should be the kind of publishing arm that publishes Gaudiya Vaishnava literature by certain standards. It's a centralized thing. That's the one thing that Prabhupada wanted centralized, book printing. He wanted all the temples to be decentralized for the sake of individuality and spontaneity, but he wanted the books centralized because that's the tattva, the siddhanta. He wanted that, that standard. That doesn't change. It would be talked about in different ways from different angles and so forth, but there has to be a standard for that. That should be centralized. Well, that BBT, in my opinion, should be the preeminent Vaishnav publishing company. New titles, great titles, important titles, and these days, titles that are not just titles for like, okay, let's do another, you know, higher taste or, you know, uh, one of those kind of books. Those are great books and they have their purpose and so forth. But my God, take ISKCON. How many devotees there must be in ISKCON? How many temples? So you got a, you got, in a way, you've got a, what do they call it, a, an audience that's kept a captive audience. You've got a captive audience. So you come out with books that help the devotees go more deeply inside of Krishna consciousness or just like kind of think outside of the box, uh, Theologically, like I said, this is a huge hurdle for the, just this. Is that somebody else, disciple of Prabhupada wrote the Bhagavad Gita, a lot of people in this kind of think that's Maya. It's not Maya. You know, now, preaching means, yeah, I, I agree with you down in the marsh. We should preach, but we might want to preach to our own group too. And and God, it's it's there's a lot of them. It's consuming. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to preach. And and it's it's can be very enlivening to preach like that. That's another thing. You see, if a sannyasi has to preach to new people, and then his preaching to the devotees is that they should preach to new people, that's not going to help him that much. But if he has to preach to the devotees, and devotees have been around for a long time, and keep their attention and enliven them, he has to know something. Hmm? He has to know more than they know. He doesn't just have to know how to tell them they should be going out and inspire them, that they should be preaching and, and spreading the Sankirtan movement and so forth. And what does Krishna say in the Gita? Who preaches this message to my devotees? He's most dear to me. Never there will be anyone more dear to me. So that requires more, more depth. So you put the onus on those sannyasis. This is what you have to do. Then they have to get more depth. And they have to speak out. And, you know, we had a swing of the pendulum in Iskon to a large extent when Persons in, in positions of spiritual authority proved to be uh, disappointing and, and, and less qualified than we had hoped. Hmm? And so we, we kind of, in the name of, let's get back to you know basics like Prabhupada and what it means to be a spiritual authority. We, there's kind of, in, in, in ISKCON, there's, in my perce- perception, there's kind of a, almost a, Someone feels a little guilty about writing a book, you know, and writing the introduction. Well, I wrote this book because I know I shouldn't have probably wrote everything, probably already said everything, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway, and this is why, and hope you forgive me. <laughs> something that's an exaggeration, but something like that. There's a kind of a, a, an atmosphere that's not conducive to the kind of spontaneity that uh, the probably wanted, that would, would cause the Buddhist thought in those days in open temples. And now to, to, to preach to the devotees in temples, to write books. I mean, look, at this one is a huge mission. I'm a small person with nothing, practically, facilities. I, and I have no education. Why am I writing books? 
there are people in this country with PhDs and, and education and more qualified. They've got money, assistance. If I had stayed in this gun, I might have thousands of disciples, you know, because this whole system's set up for people to come in, you know. Uh, but you know, I'm not in this gun, and and, and and there are people much more qualified than me with much more facility. They have a BBT and so forth. And there's one one person in the whole movement, one person who's a Sanskrit department, Gopi Purananda. That's the whole department. Now, how do you think you think Prabhupada? Was that his vision? Hmm? Prabhupada used to say that ISKCON's my body. So I ask you, well, what's a soul? That's the BBT. Prabhupada kept the BBT corporately, legally, independent of the GBC. Just like the soul is independent of the body. Why did he do that? Because if anything happened to the body, his idea was, anyway, I'm the soul. <laughs> so I'm represented here. Even if they wreck the temples and do all, I mean, my books, that's, that's me. I'm there. So Krishna consciousness is there, and that soul should be inside of a body of an institution like ISKCON and give it life and so forth. And when we were living in ISKCON, when I used to come to the Potomac Temple and sell books, well, I was selling a book, and every month a new book was coming out. You know, a whole beautiful volume of the Bhagavatam. It wasn't kid stuff. I mean, we were, we were thinking, how do we sell this to the people? You know, we didn't have the higher taste and the coming back and that kind of stuff in those days. We're selling them the fifth cano, you know. <laughs> you know, Adi Leela of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, you know. <laughs> and we ourselves are thinking, what are we doing this for? Is this, you know, well, he wants it, well, we're going to do it. But he was writing those books also for us to read, to go into. So where are the, you know, those books for the devotees? They are, they're here and there, they pop up here and there, and they're not centralized. Hmm? They're self-published, they're not accessible to everybody. They're not, you've got a captive audience. You should say, okay, now you did that Brihad Bhagavatamrita, okay? You've seen the volume of Brihad Bhagavatamrita? Gopi Pranadana? Well, Gopi tried to wait to Swami. He came to see me in Vrindavan in 1998, I believe it was. I talked to him about these kind of things, about BBT we talked, this, this, this kind of thing. He invited me to come to a meeting with the BBT in Los Angeles to talk to the BBT group there. So I went. I, I emphasize these points. They were thinking about that Briyat Bhagavatamrita. This was the, my whole emphasis. I mean, they were doing it and they were starting to do it anyway, but I tried to give support to that. I said, look, this is the kind of book you should be publishing for your own members. You've got thousands of them, thousands of them. If you read Briyat Bhagavatamrita, and they're publishing it with uh, the Sanatana Prabhu's commentary also, you're going to find that Sometimes he says he he the whole, it's a commentary on Bhagavatam, really. It's the seminal book of our society of our sampradaya. It's the first book of our sampradaya, and the whole thing is is it's a commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam of sorts. So he's quoting Bhagavatam verses, and you look at him, you see he used it a little different than Prabhupada used it when Prabhupada translated. He's got a slightly different angle. That's like wow, that's gee, you know, whoa, you know. You got to think about that. What it does is it just broadens your perspective of what this is about, what you're involved in, what your what Prabhupada got you wants you to be involved in. A little license to think spiritually, and it's it's in. It, you see, the kind of thing that that Hridayananda was talking about can be affected by going, in my opinion, more deeply within the tradition. 
Because if I speak to you about the tradition and it makes you think about it more and go in it a little more deeply, and so then you start to become more open-minded. You start to become more open-minded, you start to become more thoughtful. And you start to think about the, your own tradition and examining it more closely, then you start to think about how people are looking at it. And you think, well, maybe we could show it like this to people. And, hey, that might make more sense. And you don't think, we have to show it like this. We have to show it like this. You know, Prabhupada was not like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's done. That's it. There were rules in ISKCON, and there were things that worked in ISKCON that came to be part of ISKCON and so forth. But Prabhupada had us on the edge of our seats. If he said, stand up, we stand up. Sit down, sit down. Turn left, turn right. Book distribution is Maya. Burn all the books. We would have burned every book. That means he had us, and appropriately so, a disciple, a guru should have his disciple in that position. So flexible, ready to turn left or right, stand on your head. Hmm? The moon's closer than the sun. The sun's closer than the moon. You know, it's like that's how he had it. Okay, well, how fine. <laughs> we go with that. <laughs> so we were very flexible. How flexible was he? And now, you know, in his absence, a lot of times I find representations of probably that are very like like he was like set in stone. This is the way he was. Hmm? And I just know that's just not the fact. It doesn't take a lot to figure that out. Just You don't have to be a member even to see that. Nobody could be like that to do what he did, hmm? to be so flexible. So, in my estimation, if you, if you want to make the society relevant, you have to make the members feel that, that they're involved in something relevant. And that, to me, means that they have to become more Krishna conscious. So they should, we should boil the milk. They should go more deeply within it. And, and, and a large part of that is publishing. You take that Brigitte Bhagavatamrita, okay? Here it is. They printed 3,000 volumes of that book. I was, I was shocked at 3,000 books. I could sell 3,000 books at the airport, you know, if I want to go back out there. 3,000 is not a book to sell at the airport, really. It's a, but you've got more than 3,000 devotees. The book says on the back cover, a quote from Prabhupada, nobody can become Krishna conscious without reading this book. You've got the mandate from Prabhupada, see, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So you get together... And you market the book to ISKCON. You say, every temple president has to read this book. Every sannyasi has to read this book. Every GBC has to read this book. You have to give class from this book. That means the people in the temples got to get the book, got to read the book. And then so, then you sell so many more books to your own members. They're all reading the book. The book refers to the Bhagavatam. You've got to go back to Prabhupada's Bhagavatam. And all of a sudden, well, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's interesting again. You see, Sanatana was given a certain angle on it, and you never were able to think of it like that because you're not Sanatana Goswami. So you're getting a glimpse into his insight, and it, that, that's refreshing. And then you go back and look what Prabhupada said, and you think, yeah, Prabhupada was a great book. It's been sitting on my shelf for years. I haven't been reading that. Hmm? What's it about? And then you've got the Sanyasi. Now he's been told, your only business is to read these books and go and preach to the temples. And I realize that's probably idealistic because Sanyasis have positions of management and organization. And so forth, but somehow it should gravitate towards that. That was the original idea of, of sannyas and iskon. The sannyasis would ensure the purity by traveling to the temples and preaching. So they go, and every business is not to preach to you to go out and preach to the people. That's a given. Their business is to inspire you to go more deeply in Krishna consciousness, and they they are assured by doing that, preaching will go on because you're inspired. And when you're inspired and you feel you're involved with something that's relevant, then other people start to feel this is relevant. Because it's alive for you, and you're thinking about it then in a, in a, in a, in a meaningful way, and, and you're in, 
involved with people and so forth. So my idea is that to make ISKCON relevant, you have to boil the milk. That's what has to be done. And, you know, it's a difficult task. I suppose it's a big mission. And, you know, I'm just backseat driver here. So, you know, I, I, I'm just giving my mouthing off here with my opinion. But I think it has some, some it's worth considering how to systematically organize it and so forth. You know, that, that's another thing. But you could, I mean, why not pass a resolution like that? Now it's time to boil the milk. No more need for it. There's no other resolutions needed, you know. Well, then patch this hole or that hole that, you know, may be there. But this is what and then you make a concentrated effort. And I don't think that you have to change your, your dress because it alienates people. I, I, I mean, we do anyway. I mean, how many people are wearing doughs here? Some do, some don't. And there's appropriate circumstances, I think, for that, not for that. That makes sense. Even the priesthood, you know, you Priests used to always wear those long robes. I was raised by the Jesuits. You know, and then they change and they got a suit and just a little collar. And I don't know what they wear now. So then there's a place for that. They, they don't wear collars. Not anymore. The last six months, they didn't wear collars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a problem, huh? Yeah, so I think that that's, that should be the should be the focus. And that that's my kind of response to the Mars. That's what will make the movement relevant and... And rally the devotees, and and even if nobody does join us, yeah, this would be Krishna conscious, preaching to the devotees. Sridhar Maharshi once said, "People go, and this, this was years and years and years ago, of course." He said, "New people are coming in the front door, but old people are going out the back door." What is that? Farce. That is a farce in the name of preaching. It's a farce. I mean, you you don't know how he felt about each one of us. He saw each and every one of us, and he knew some of us by name some of the older disciples of Prabhupada. But every one of us, he felt about, they've been involved for years. They've come to this by Swami Maharaj Prabhupada's preaching, that they're going away. I cannot tolerate that. That they're going, having to leave the mission, go outside. I cannot tolerate that. I mean, it was very painful to him, so painful to him. When Ramaswar Prabhu left and Bhavananda left, and Bhagwan, I believe, left kind of all at the same time. I had already left under different circumstances, and uh, I was with uh, connected with Sridhar Maharaj. So I went to see him. It was shortly after that, just 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 as that had happened, I was I went to Navadvip to have his association, and so he asked me, "Oh, Tripramar, so what is the news?" And I could tell he had heard the news, but he was looking. Because I'm just coming fresh from the West. Is it, is it true? And I didn't want to say it because I knew how it would affect him. So I said, everything's going nicely. And uh, at that time, uh, Pancha Dabitamarsh had had come under the, had been inspired by Sridhamarsh. I said, Pancha Dabitamarsh has, has become inspired and and he's reading your books and, and so forth. But he knew. And so he said, and so anyway, is it true that Ramaswar and Bhagwan and uh, Bhavananda, they have lost their shraddha and gone outside? And I still try to play it down. I said, well, Marj, I don't know if they've lost their faith entirely, but, you know, yes, they've left, they left the position of a child. And they've gone outside. They're not practicing. And then he began to cry. At that time in, in L.A., they were having celebrations we finally rid of this guy Ramaswar. You know, people were, were like having a party about it. 
you know, and I knew that. And then I, you know, there I was faced with the contrast. The shooter march, she started to cry. She said, I can't tolerate that they have gone. There's so much they gave their life to Swami Maharaj, Mahaprabhu, with the cause of Vrindavan. And we are all so proud of them and, and what Swami Maharaj Prabhupada has done. And I cannot tolerate this, to think that this is happening. Uh, you can imagine how my heart melted. I knew I was, I was, knew I was in the right place <laughs> anyway. I told the GBC myself just before I left, they interviewed me. They were toying with the idea of making me a guru so that I wouldn't go outside of ISKCON. And um, this was in my episode, they brought me in and they, they interviewed me. And uh, because I was going to go to Sridhar Marsh, I thought, oh, that was a long story. And I, I had got found out that I was interested in Sridhar Marsh. And so, Ramaswar called all the temples in North America within about 15 minutes so I couldn't go to any temples. So I thought, well, I guess that's it. Wow. So it happens. I'm out. And so then I went to San Francisco and I was going to just fly to Navadweep. I thought, what do you do now? The Trey Rishi was there. He was like the last stop in ISKCON. And so he said, oh, you don't have to leave. Remember, if you stay here with me, you can have Sridhar Maharaj's Shiksha Guru. You stay with me and everything. Uh, Trey wanted me in his zone because I distribute books and make devotees, and GBC always criticized that Trey couldn't distribute books and make devotees. You know? <laughs> so he had kind of mixed mixed uh, motives about it. But anyway, I I took over a little temple of the Trey Rishis there that he had a rented place, you know, and I, and I began to kind of preach. And he, he was nice enough, funny guy. I mean, he told me Prabhu Maharaj. You know, he said, first thing as we talked, he said, one thing, if we are to be together, then, you know, we have to talk very straight with one another, straight communication always. You know, Trey would talk sometimes, you didn't know what he was talking about. So I said, I'll talk to you straight. Half the time, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, but I'll try. <laughs> but I liked him. But anyway, I, I was there, and, and so I was kind of in the last, you know, place before you, like, lifted off from, from ISKCON. And um, and then Fridan Undermarsh came there to see me because he understood the situation and he preached to me and he said, you know, it's really a shame. You're a good preacher and, and all and they don't give you any field. You know, they got you working under, you know, Bhavananda. <laughs> you know, give me a break. Because I had complained to him earlier. I said, look, what's this coming to? I'm a faithful guy, but you know, it's like, <laughs> this is going too far. And I said, well, we don't know if that's true or what. You know, well, Anyway, so he said, hey, you know, you're right. And he came to see me. He said, they should give a, give a field to a person like you, and it's unfair, and, you know, you're a good preacher. And, and I had to say to him at that time, I said, there's a lot of negative impetus for me to be in, in the space that I'm in right now. That's true. But I said, i got to tell you, there's some positive impetus, too. As you know, Marsh, I'm not just going there because it's kind of, you know, the way it is. And I said, there's something spiritual going on here. And Prabhupada cracked the door. The Sridhar Maharaj, I never would have gone there. I wouldn't even know. Prabhupada's the one that said, if you have any questions for philosophy, see my godbrother, B.R. Sridhar Maharaj. I was massaging Prabhupada's feet at the time. So, heck, you know, I had some philosophical questions afterwards. So, you know, I did go there. So anyway, I, I told Maharaj that, and he, he appreciated it. He was nice to me, and he was kind. And um, it wasn't far until the next, like, GBC meeting. So... He encouraged me to go. I went to the meeting, and they wanted, so they he encouraged them, I guess, give to a primary person like him a fair field. He won't have to leave then. And 
So I went to the meeting and they kind of grilled me. Why are you into Sridhar Maharaj? Why you read Sridhar Maharaj's books? And I said to them, I said, you know, I'll tell you why. I said, I never met Sridhar Maharaj yet. I just read one of his books and I know what Krishna consciousness is. And this is Krishna conscious. But besides that, I also have this strong feeling that at that year I was the president of the sannyasis. They had a thing where they would elect a president. I was the president of the sannyasis. I said, I feel in my heart that if I were to leave the mission today and Sridhar Maharaj, whom I never met, heard about it, that the president of the sannyasis has been discouraged with the mission and the way it's representing the founder, and he's gone outside, he left, that he would send someone to find me, to talk to me, to encourage me, but none of you would give me a call if I left today. I said, what can I say? Whether it's right or not, that's how you make me feel. Hmm? And there was silence. Hmm? They didn't give me a fair feel or anything. But so, you know, with that, I went, uh, went independently of them. So, I don't know how we drifted into that, but we should be generous in our dealings with, uh, with one another. And we should try to inject spiritual substance into, into the hearts of all the devotees. It's my uh, humble opinion. Well, you know, um, I just keep doing what I do, which is uh, the best of my capacity to preach Krishna consciousness and to represent it. And um, I guess it's been 18 years since I left ISKCON. And uh, for years we had nothing but an undeserved bad reputation. And it wasn't easy to kind of stand out there with nothing but, you know, what people thought were your pajamas and no movement behind you and and so on. But, um, yeah, in more recent years, then a lot of people read my books. You know, and we have that, I don't know if you know, we have this newsletter on the Internet where I answer questions. And a lot of people, we have about 11,000 readers. And a lot of them are GBCs and sannyasis and gurus, too, that, and sometimes.